1: A lot of people will say, oh, but I don't understand and therefore you can't do this. Or I don't get it, so it's not real. And I say, listen, that's okay. You don't have to get it. You don't have to understand. Do you understand everything in the world? No. Does it make anything false? No. It just means you don't get it. But you getting it is not the arbiter of whether or not it exists or is valid, right? You don't have to get it or get me to accept and support me.
2: I'm Kimmy Culp, and this is All the Wiser. We are the world's first... One for One Charitable Podcast and for every interview you hear we make a $2,000 charitable donation. In today's interview with Skylar Baylar you will meet a man who was once one of the top female high school swimmers in the country. In 2013 Skylar was recruited and asked to join the Women's Harvard Swimming Team. In the year before starting Harvard, Skyler came out as transgender and made history when he was offered a spot to join the men's team. Skyler is the first publicly documented NCAA D1 transgender man to compete as a man in any sport. He talks about what it means to bravely step into your truth and break free of the labels, identities, and expectations we are all given in this world. He also gives a poetic reminder of something I often have to remind myself, that not all the success or accolades in the world will make you happy. Today's episode benefits The Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is a beloved organization that provides advocacy and support to LGBTQ youth and crisis and suicide prevention. They have the Trevor Lifeline, which is literally a lifeline. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, young people in crisis can text, chat, or talk with a counselor. These conversations have saved countless lives. Skylar chose them as the charity he is supporting today. And after listening to our conversation about his own journey with mental health, it will make sense why the project means so much to him. Now here's today's interview with a young man who is wise beyond his years, Skylar Baylor. Skylar, welcome to All the Wiser.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited.
2: I love to have our guests introduce themselves as opposed to me making the introduction. How would you introduce yourself?
1: Well, it depends on in what scenario, but for here today, well, I'll start with my name. So I'm I'm Skylar Baylor. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm 24 years old. I grew up in McLean, Virginia, right outside of DC. My title or or claim to fame, if you will, (laughs) is uh, the first transgender athlete to compete for a division one men's team in college.
2: Skylar, tell me about the backdrop of your early childhood.
1: So I, I grew up, like I said, in, in McLean, Virginia. Um, I've always been a really active kid. I'm, a, I'm an athlete, like I said earlier, and I focused in swimming, if you will. <laughs> and I am a very curious person, but especially when I was a kid, my, my parents like to tell you that my favorite question to ask was why. And I would continuously ask that <laughs> never-endingly. And I was a bit of a weird kid as well. I really liked the outdoors and I really liked the weird part was I liked classifying the outdoors, so I'd, I, I would have I had one of those belts that went around your waist with magnifying glasses, specimen jars, and all these other kinds of things. So I'd wander around and and pretend to be a little scientist. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question.
2: It no, it answers it beautifully, and and I love you bringing it to life with the belt. So I think this is a it's a pertinent question for all of us to reflect back on, and certainly an important one for the conversation that we're having today. But as you grew up moving out of being a little girl into puberty and early teenage years, who were you on the inside versus how the world experienced you on the outside? Mm-hmm.
1: So I guess the first thing that, I, that I'd like to start with is I would never describe myself. Uh, as a little girl. Um, so I, I was assigned female at birth, and, I, and everybody thought that I was a little girl, and, and I thought that I was supposed to be a little girl. Um, but knowing now more about myself and, and finding the language and the courage and the resources to explain who I, I truly am, which is as a man, um, a boy, uh, transgender, of course, but a boy all the same, um, I, I would always describe myself either as a little kid or a little boy who wasn't able to say that he was a little boy, right? So I guess t- t- to answer your question more directly, um, I've always been me I've always been I've always felt the way that I do about myself especially you know with regards to my gender I just haven't always had the ability to explain that I haven't always had the words the resources the courage to explain oh this is who I am I'm a boy right um, and so I, I again I've always felt that way um, and I, I feel like I've always known that to be true about myself I just as a kid wasn't able to explain that
2: well thank you for distinguishing that and I think Language is so important and so powerful. And it was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about it today, because I know in my research, I, you know, I think inherently most people are confused that they're going to misstep and say the wrong word or, and so I think there's an an education to be had, but also not on the burden of you or the shoulders of you. But I want to thank you for that um, correction. I think it's important and I think it's important for our audience to know.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think language is incredibly important with marginalized folks, especially in general, but especially with with folks who are marginalized, because language can be marginalizing, right? Um, especially and even when we don't mean it to be. And I, I know you didn't intend for that. I know most people don't intend for that. Uh, and, and I think that I, I, well, I know I have the privilege of the emotional space to say that, right, and to explain that, and to 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 share that with you. But not everybody does.
2: So, in your your childhood, your boyhood growing up how would you say you know i always i think one way to say it is who you are 3 a.m. in the morning <laughs> <laughs> because i think how we show up in the world you know is very different you know at 2 p.m. on a tuesday versus you know waking up in the middle of the night and struggling with the things that we as human beings struggle with regardless mm-hmm. of what that is so mm-hmm. i'd love for you to paint a picture in those teen years, which are incredibly difficult, I think, for most people, Sure. the dichotomy there of how the world was experiencing you and how you were experiencing yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that during my teenage years, the, the, the most difficult thing for me was that I didn't really have the space, nor did I make the space, nor was I demanded to make the space to really discover who I was, who I am. I think that the world raises kids most often to succeed, um, whatever that means in that in that scenario. But oftentimes it means do your grades, do your sport, make friends, but not too many. You know, um, do what your parents say, but not all the time. Uh, and it's kind of this like this prescription of how you're supposed to live your life, and it doesn't really include who are you. What do you like in the world? What do you think about at night? And what what struggles do you have? And how, what what do you feel lost about? And how can you how can you feel less lost about that? Um, and so I spent most of my my high school years underwater, and when I say that, I mean literally <laughs> underwater, uh, because I'm a swimmer, and I spent all of my high school experience most well mostly if not all in in the pool training. Um, and and metaphorically speaking, I. W- I was also underwater. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't coming up to breathe. I wasn't wondering who I was. Um, and and the, the discrepancy between how people saw me, which was as this, this woman, and who I felt I was, which was definitely not that woman. And I didn't have the language to explain what that meant to me at the time. I only understood that I wasn't how, I, how people perceived me to be. And I don't even know if I had the articulation to say that discrepancy either. I just felt lost. I remember being very miserable all the time. I remember feeling disconnected from myself, from my friends. I remember feeling disappointed in myself, but not really knowing why or how, because I was doing all the things that I was supposed to be doing, getting the good grades, the gold medals, getting into school, getting into an Ivy League, whatever, right? I was doing all those things, and yet I still felt like I was a disappointment. And now I can look back and say, oh, that was because I wasn't myself, right? I wasn't being myself. I wasn't acting true to myself. I wasn't... um, I wasn't interacting with in authenticity, but I didn't have the language to say that then. So I just was depressed.
2: As you mentioned, all of these external measures we put on what it means to lead a successful life, you're checking all the boxes, right? Incredible athlete, Ivy League school, and clearly, you know, academics are stellar. But inside, you are deeply struggling and I know part of that struggle and it's something we talk a lot about on this podcast, including me sharing my own story, is that you were living with and struggling with an eating disorder and your mental health. Can you share with me what you were experiencing at that time and you were um, you know, accepted at Harvard and asked to join the women's swim team and decided to Take a year off and, and address both those things: your eating disorder and your mental health. Can you share with our audience your experience during that time?
1: Yeah, so I started struggling with my mental health midway through through high school. I broke my back the summer before uh, my junior year in high school, and. You know, breaking your back is never fun. It's not a a good experience for anybody, I don't think. But for me, it also took away swimming. And uh, leading up to that point, I had been struggling with with various mental health things, but I had never had the language to describe that. I had begun struggling kind of with an eating disorder, according to my coach, but I hadn't really accepted that. He had just noticed that I'd lost weight. Then I broke my back and my world just exploded, or imploded rather. But I just felt this kind of massive emptiness without swimming. Swimming had been the purpose behind everything in my life. It was the reason I got up in the morning to go to practice. It was the reason that I got through school because I had to get through school so I could swim. It was the reason that I ate. I ate so that I could swim. I slept so that I could swim. I talked to my friends so that I could swim. Right, Everything was about swimming. And not being able to swim through that process was honestly, I mean, it was the hardest thing I think of, I, that I've ever done. And definitely at the time, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done at the time. And I just, I felt like my world fell apart I, and I my my social network disappeared. I was no longer seeing all my friends. My passion went away. I wasn't able to swim. The purpose, like I said, disappeared from my life. So I just, I felt so, so empty. And that was what begun the, the mental health struggles that I had. I I, I, I imagine it as if I, I sort of opened up this chest, right? Pandora's box, if you will, of my, my stresses, my issues. And I had no idea how to shove it back in.
2: How did you deal with it?
1: So uh, about... Three weeks, two weeks into the the, the primary eating disorder behaviors that I, I was using, I realized that that's what I was using. I knew, I was like, this is not good. I need help this is not good for me at all. I'm going to hurt myself. And so I reached out to my parents basically through the help of of a sports psychologist that I had just begun seeing at the time because of the back break. Um, And so by the end of high school, I'd actually gone to the hospital a couple of times for the mental health issues, specifically the eating disorder um, and and some other self-harm stuff. And that was what led me to see a final therapist that said, you can't, you can't do this, Skylar. You, you know, it's, you think that you're going to go to Harvard in the fall. What a joke. You have to go to treatment. You have to go to residential treatment. There's no way you're going to start college um, in the fall successfully. You're either going to be, you know, do terribly in school, do terribly in in the pool or both. And I remember sitting in her office. That's a very vivid memory where she said that to me after I told her my story and kind of what I was struggling with. And she looked at me and she said, you, you have to go to treatment. And I, I looked at her and I said, "I, I think you're right.
2: And what did you learn about yourself and your path of healing in the residential treatment?
1: I mean, the primary thing that I learned I would consider the biggest revelation is that I'm transgender. So before then I had had no, like literally no language about my own gender identity. I had come out as gay in high school. I knew that I liked girls. I thought, okay, I'm I'm supposed to be this girl. And, you know, the word we use for that is gay. Maybe that's the thing that's different about me. Maybe that's the thing that's keeping me so miserable because I haven't come out. So I come out about that. I told people, and I was actually in the end of high school, I had dated a girl I really liked. So that would all all been there, but I had never had any language for gender identity. And, you Treatment was what what brought me that language because my therapist demanded that we talk about gender. And I think that was because, not because I brought it up, it, well, I might have brought it up in in indirect ways, but she noticed from the way I spoke about myself, from the way I talked about my childhood, from the way I talked about my my boyhood, that was honestly in contrast to, to the girlhood that I was, quote, supposed to have had. Um, I was very boyish as a, as a kid and nobody ever thought that I was a girl because of the way I dressed and looked and how my hair was. My therapist said, we need to talk about this. And that was where we kind of drew the conversation from and where I figured out I'm transgender.
2: So the knowingness, right? Inherently, I guess subconsciously was always there, but there was this moment of stepping into it, of beginning Mm -hmm. the acceptance. When was that shift for you? You're away from your parents, addressing the eating disorder, addressing your mental health. You're discovering more about your identity, what is the point in which the dots are connected? It, it mm. clicks for you and you have now come to this place of acceptance of what you already knew in a sense.
1: Right. Yeah, you know, I kind of think about it as like, one was I was like, oh, okay, this is it, right? This is me. Um, here's the language, and that, that language applies to me. So I had been sort of meandering around talking about my gender identity. I had thrown around the word transgender here and there, but only, only not pertaining to me. <laughs> um, and then my, ther- my therapist re- recommended very strongly that I go to this gender workshop so I was going to rehab in in Miami, Florida. And there's a place called the Yes Institute. And they are a gender LGBTQ educational resource, essentially. And they hold workshops on gender identity. And one of them was called gender, the gender continuum, and the other one is called communications or something like that. And I went to both. And at the end of, I believe it was the second one, a a another transgender person was there. Actually, two transgender people were there and they spoke. And I remember watching one of the one this this younger trans kid. He's, he was fifteen at the time. Walk into the room, and I just that, like my whole chest stopped for a second. I just like I, I remember it kind of almost seizing as I watched it walk in. And I remember thinking to myself, like there was just little things about him—the way he wore his pants, the shirts that he wore, the way he held himself—that I was I just saw myself immediately in him. And he sat and he talked about how suicidal and depressed he had been before he realized he was transgender and how he had begun his medical transition. And, and he was sort of being able to grow into himself. And I spent the entire day in tears.
2: Were you suicidal and depressed?
1: Absolutely. I, w- I would absolutely say that that was part of my experience. I very much was struggling with my belonging here. Yeah. Um, especially in this moment. So what was happening for me as I was watching, uh, you know, this kid talk Listening to him express his issues and, and feeling very connected to what he was saying um, was also this other conversation. So as I'm as I'm having as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, "This is me. This is me. This is me." And it's and it's at this point, it's it's inarguable to me. It's so obvious as I sit with this other this mirror essentially right in front of me, being like, "This is me." The almost immediate adjacent conversation in my head is, "What the heck am I going to do about swimming?" And swimming is my whole life. What am, I, what am I going to do about my whole life, essentially, right? And they felt like two completely diverging conversations of, oh my gosh, I'm transgender, I'm actually a boy, and I want to be this like winning female athlete, which I've spent my whole life working to do. Right. And in, in a sport where the gender boxes are so clear, the differences between the performance levels of, 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 you know, men and women in swimming is, is vast. And so I was, I was absolutely panicking. And the, the tears that I was, I was experiencing at the time were very, very few up from relief, mostly of complete panic and sadness and, and the suicidality coming in there too of, oh my gosh, if this is my reality, what, what am I going to do with my life? And is my life worth living? I mean, I had very negative you know, images of trans people from the media and from the world. I, I had no idea what that meant, right? So it was it was a very difficult time in that moment. And, and I wish it had come with more relief and understanding, oh my gosh, this is me. This is great. I've understood who I am. But it was so terrifying for me because I didn't see any athletes.
2: And I believe that that same day, your dad was coming to visit. And you can correct me if I'm wrong.
1: No, that's correct. Yeah.
2: Can you tell me about the conversation you had with your dad?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So he he came and picked me up from that workshop that day, and I was still bawling. I, like I said, I spent the whole day in, in tears. Um, and and kind of, I am not just like little tears. I mean, sobbing. Like I felt like my life had just been ex- like exploded in front of me um, with this realization. And he, he came in to pick me up. I walked out still crying, unable to control myself. And he just gave me a big hug. He waited for a while. He hugged me, He held me tight. And then he said, what's wrong? And I choked out after several moments. I, w- I really didn't know how to say what I was what I was trying to say. And I just said, dad I, dad, I think I'm transgender and I don't know what to do. I'm so scared. And he just hugged me again, tighter this time. Uh, and he said, we'll figure it out. And that was that. That was it. That's all he had. Um, he didn't ask questions. He didn't press. He just said, okay. And he hugged me after a bit we walked inside I, I had told the people inside uh, at this workshop that my, my dad was coming to pick me up and my dad knew nothing and they had said bring him inside we'll we'll talk to him so I, I did I brought him inside and um, the people the, the the organizers of this event you know were like you just need to love your kid you just need to accept your kid it's going to be okay and my dad like looked at them as if they were it was not as if they were stupid but it was like this this bafflement of like of course I love my kid you know uh, and he said that too. He was like, oh, yeah, "Of course, of course. I'll, I mean, I'll do whatever Skylar needs. I, I, of course, I love my kid. This is everything. Will be fine." And I, I felt stupid in that moment for even bringing him in because I, I was like, he didn't need that. They, they, he didn't. He maybe he needs the education at some point, but that he didn't need to be told to love me. I am very privileged in that sense. There are a lot of kids that don't get that response from their parents. A lot of kids get the questions, get the hatred, get the rejection, get the "What are you doing to yourself?" Um, and I didn't. So I, I'm very appreciative of that.
2: What was your mom's reaction when you shared this with her?
1: So I actually told my mom before I told my dad. This is sort of a backwards backwards conversation in just in the order because um, I told my mom when I wasn't sure. I told her in, in a moment in the car, I had randomly just said, Mom, I think I might be transgender. It's something I'm working on in therapy. If I am transgender, maybe I can't swim anymore. I literally blurted it out. Um, it had just been like I had been telling her about what was going on in the therapy. And uh, I said that and she said, Oh, uh, okay. Um, I think you should really think about that one, Skylar. And I said, yeah, and that was really it um, I know it sounds kind of strange, but, uh, at the time in therapy, I was kind of coming up with a new life plan every day. You know, therapy is, is a very revolutionary time. I mean, I mean that in the actual definition of revolutionary, right? Revolutions that you're coming over and over, uh, and then things are changing, um, rapidly. And, and so I was, you know, I was saying a new, new life plan every day. I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm never going back to school. I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer. I'm never swimming again. Right. And so I'm like, I'm a boy. And they're like, she, she was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, cool. Um, and I don't think that, I don't feel like she was trying to say that it was a phase or anything, because I know that can be really difficult for a lot of LGBTQ folks. Um, I just felt like she was kind of waiting to see what stuck yeah.
2: um,
1: and, and kind of letting me lead the way on that.
2: As we're talking about you sharing with your family, the reaction of your religious Korean grandmother, which one mm-hmm. would make a lot of probably stereotypes about what her reaction sure. would be, but what in fact was her reaction, Skylar?
1: Yeah. So just a little extra background. My, my grandmother is um, a Korean immigrant. She's Catholic. She has been, most of my childhood, very conservative in how she acted. Um, she said a lot of I'm gonna say sketchy things about about queer people growing up and was very um resistant in in my experience of her towards LGBTQ folks. And so my mom and I thought that we were just gonna be straight up disowned um potentially by, by my grandmother. And so I waited a while to tell her. When I actually told her, I wrote her a letter, I read it to her, and um she said to me, Okay, I already knew that. <laughs> and I said, What are you talking about, Harmony? Like, what? And she's like, I knew that. You know, I saw some things on the FaceTime. She meant Facebook. Um, (laughs) uh, And she had seen me repost something once um, about, I think, a trans kid or a gay kid. And so she had then, you know, taken from that 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 something was different about me. And the next thing she said was, okay, that's fine. I have two grandsons now from your mother. That's fine. (laughs) Um, And it was just so simple. It was really my most simple coming out. She didn't ask me a single question. She didn't press... Um, she just said, okay, great. And the one thing she said at, after this, she went into this whole conversation about how it's normal that I'm transgender and all these kinds of things, um, and how it's, you know, a, a human thing, essentially. She said, okay, okay, so you can be a boy, you can be a brother, you can be a husband, you can be a doctor. I was like, oh my God, gender roles, hold on. <laughs> um, you can be a man, but in Korean culture, it is the daughter's responsibility to take care of the parents. And your mother has no more daughters. It is still your responsibility, Skylar, to take care of your parents. And I, I, wholeheartedly agree. I said, "Of course." Actually, what I said was, "Dude, I got you." Um, I don't know why I decided that was the language to tell my 83 year old, green conservative Catholic grandmother. But um, I, I have her words, "Pumo hyodo it means "Take care of your parents, mother, father, filial piety." Tattooed underneath my mastectomy scar, um, so my 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 trans affirming surgery scar. It is my tribute to my history, my past, my my the daughterhood I was assigned, never identified with, but the duties of which I absolutely will fulfill.
2: I love your grandmother. I don't know if she's still here, but she sounds incredible.
1: Yes, she is.
2: You really had this incredible gift and the the love and acceptance of your parents and a generational story you shared. Your Mm -hmm. grandmother, I know your dad's father, was a liberal minister who actually marched for gay rights. So there was this Mm -hmm. legacy, this lineage in your Mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids uh, and teenagers and adults don't have that. What would you say the ramifications or the the impact of those first critical familial conversations are
1: so point blank there's a couple there's a couple of, you know facts i want to share the first thing is that up to 41% of trans people uh, attempt or complete suicide most of them in their adolescence so most of them before the age of 24 parental acceptance is the number one factor that contributes or detracts from that percentage I think that people don't think about that. <laughs> they think, oh, I want, to, I want my kid to be X, Y, or Z, or I don't believe in this, or I don't agree with this, or my religious beliefs don't accept this, et cetera, et cetera. And they forget or they dismiss that their rejection of their child is directly contributing to the suicidality of that child. And the thing that can change it is it doesn't, you don't even need both parents to accept you. You need one. One accepting parent, one affirming parent for a trans kid can literally change and save their life. So was that important for me? 100%, 120%. Having parental support and having uh, people love and accept me for who I am and just at where I am was absolutely life-saving. And it doesn't have to come with understanding. I think this is really, really key. A lot of people will say, oh, but I don't understand and therefore you can't do this. Or I don't get it, so it's not real. And I say, listen, that's okay. You don't have to get it. You don't have to understand. Do you understand everything in the world? No. Does it make anything false? No. It just means you don't get it. But you getting it is not the arbiter of whether or not it exists or is valid, right? You don't have to get it or get me to accept and support me. Um, so I remind parents of that and, and kids and trans kids often of this because I think we all get stuck on that understanding. And the understanding will come or maybe it won't. But the love must be there regardless. And that love is literally life-saving or life-taking. And I think everybody needs to understand that.
2: Thank you for that. I'm curious how you've experienced and sharing with, with people in the world, both close to you and people that are, you know, teammates or people you work with. When you share your transness, do you see a distinction between how men and women experience that?
1: So this is a really good question. Um, honestly, I, I, I feel a little bit stumped by it because I'm not really sure if there's one defining factor that, that informs how somebody responds to my transness. I think there's a lot. Um, is gender of the other person one of them? Sure. Um, I, I think that, you know, men generally are socialized to ask less questions, to be less curious, um, and to, to therefore engage with me less perhaps on the transness. And so they're more likely to be like, oh, okay, and move on. Um, They might be uncomfortable, but they might not express that. Whereas I think women are more socialized to ask questions and to converse about it to be a little bit more empathetically engaged. Um, And I also think that sometimes women can feel like they can understand me a little bit more because then in explaining that I'm transgender, I'm telling them that we have a shared experience of being assigned female at birth right? And, and, and walking through some kind of girlhood or some kind of womanhood. And so I think sometimes that can make men feel less connected to me because they didn't share that history and make women feel more connected to me because they, they do share that history. So I'm not sure that answers your question, but...
2: It does. And it's a great answer to the question. Thank you. As we have talked about, swimming is a huge part of your life and you are an incredibly accomplished competitive swimmer who has been accepted on the women's swim team at Harvard.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You were accepted before you made the choice to transition, correct? Mm-hmm. I know it was actually the coach of the women's swim team who posed a really important question and a pertinent question to you, which is my understanding as that you were going to begin the surgeries in the process of of transitioning but continue to swim on the women's team. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say like the surgeries and the the transition, there's there's really not one way and one set of surgeries or anything, but I was going to begin transitioning. Uh, I was going to, you know, I, I had cut my hair. I had started wearing more men's clothes and presenting as male walking around the world. Um, I had decided I was going to get top surgery, which is a, a mastectomy, a removal of breasts, if you will, a masculinization of chest. Uh, and I was going to do that, but still compete as as a woman.
2: And I think the question she posed, which you touched on earlier was huge as you identified yourself as a person who loves to win a competitive athlete who competes mm-hmm. at the highest level and she approached the coach of the male swim team who agreed and asked you or gave you the choice to compete on the on the men's swimming team can you walk me through that choice weighing both of those options and why you landed where you did?
1: I mean, that was probably the, the, the next most difficult time in my life, get, you know, aside from the back break, because it really felt like I had to choose between being myself and being myself. I was I going to, you know, go along with the, the work that I've been doing for the past 18 years. I'd started swimming at, at 10 months old and I was now, you know, 18 and almost 19. And I felt like I spent my whole life working to be really good at the in the pool, right? I've been training by the time I was six. I was training year round by the time I was eight and I was doing 4am practices so I could do two a days by the time I was 10. I was 20 hours a week by the time I was 12 and nationally ranked by the time I was 15, right? My whole life, I've been working my butt off to be really, really good at swimming and swimming as a man would be instantly shattering all that potential success I could have had competing as female, right? I I had a conversation actually with my dad and I I was, we were walking through this together and, and originally he was, he was more of the mind that I should stay on the women's team. He knew how hard I'd worked for all this and he wanted me to be able to garner that success, but he said, Skylar, you know, you've, you told me all these times that all the success you had in high school meant nothing to you, you know, and, and look at where, you know, look at you, it, it, it really seemed like it didn't mean all that much to you because you made it to where to, to rehab, right? You got all that success. You qualified all those times you made, you made it into college. You did all these wonderful things and all these records and, and you feel miserable. At least that's what you've told me, right? And I was like, well, yeah. And he said, so who's to say you get through college and you make all these records in college on the women's team? What is that going to mean to you? And I really sat and thought about it. And I was like, gosh, you're right. Maybe it will mean something or maybe I think it will mean something. But but clearly, my previous successes haven't meant something to me because if they did, I wouldn't have ended up in this treatment center. I would have felt fulfilled, but I didn't. And why didn't I? Because I wasn't myself. So in the end of it all, I I, I really decided to take that risk, right? Um, and the risk was for my happiness. And at the expense of my success, right, my, my numerical success, if you will, I took that leap of faith for my own happiness, fulfillment in my life and not the times on the scoreboard.
2: Yeah, because the women's team would have meant all those accolades you had been Hustling for it. Yes. In theory. Yes. And the breaking the records and the and on the men's team, as you had said, you you set goals like if if I am faster than one person. So you had to change your measure of what it means to be successful in life. And you chose I think you chose the definition of success as being true to yourself.
1: Yeah, and I I think I don't even think it was about success at that point. I I, I really tried to take a step away from the the, even the concept of success, and I think the idea of success can get all muddled and um, prescriptive and whatever. And I was just like, I got to be, I got to figure out how to be happy. And I have never really felt truly happy and connected to myself. The last time I felt like that, I was I was six, and in order to get back that childhood joy, I have to be myself and i have to be myself in my entirety and that doesn't in, entail living this lie of, of trying to be a woman even if i'm really good competing as a woman right the other thing of of about this was that it was it was a risk in in the competition level as well like i said in that i wasn't going to be nearly as good or it wasn't like a kind of a shoe in that i was going to be nearly as good but there was there was this openness of who knows what i can do right it's it's very likely i won't be as as good and i and i you know spoiler alert i wasn't but i didn't suck either and i think that was a good good mindset for me to have of being open into I don't know what's going to happen on the men's team as opposed to I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen on the women's team.
2: And there's are there regulations I think about testosterone?
1: Yes, I must prove through lab reports that my doctor sends to, to the NCAA that my testosterone levels are at an average male level. And that just makes sure that I'm not doping above above the average male level. So it makes it fair.
2: Are there instances in the NCAA, because you, you graduated how recently, recently, very recent, last year, 2019. Right? Yeah. Yeah. May yeah.
1: 2019.
2: Yeah. Of transgender athletes on female sports teams, women's sports teams.
1: Yeah. So the regulation is the same. It's about testosterone levels. So if you're assigned male at birth and you want to compete as female, you have to prove that your testosterone levels are at an average female level and you, you submit labs for that too. And you prove that you've been on testosterone blockers, testosterone suppressants for at least one documented year. So it's the same idea. Basically the testosterone levels have to be at or below the average level of the gender you're competing as.
2: Got it. Yeah, I think that's kind of fascinating just from an athletic and competitive athletic uh, standpoint. You have very openly documented your transition on social media. You talked about your top surgery. So I'm curious if you can share with us, you know, I think people think so much about physical transformation mm-hmm. and don't talk about the emotional transformation, which to me seems, you know, obviously they're they're tied and connected. So I'm curious if you can share your transition both from your physical being and your emotional being.
1: Sure. So I, I would call all of it growing into myself. The easiest way and the shortest way I can describe my transition. It's it's about growing into myself, and I would hope most people growing up would be growing into yourself. But I do think growing up is often done right. Growing up is is unlearning. It is unlearning all the things that I thought I was supposed to be, that everybody told me I was supposed to be, that I was all that I was assigned right. In terms of a physical tra- transition, if you will, uh, a lot of that is is about growing into myself as well. I-, I felt like top surgery, I felt like testosterone both allowed me to grow into who I am and grow into my body in a way that makes my body feel like home. Uh, makes me feel like I can see myself in the mirror, like I can see myself when I'm just by myself in my, in my nakedness and my own skin. I think that this is something that most people strive for and want to feel comfortable in their own skin. I think for trans people, there's an added layer that that is gender, that is difficult, right? Um, And that's where transition can help us kind of um, feel like more of ourselves. But all of it is about feeling like myself.
2: Do you remember the first time you saw yourself in a Speedo?
1: I remember the first time I tried one on in a a, a dressing room. I had gone to a, a local swim store and I tried on a Speedo and a, and, a, and a jammer, so jammers are the ones that go down to your knees. And I had I'd really not felt comfortable in any of them, but I was like, well, this is what we're doing <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to be on the men's team, so these are the suits I'm going to wear. Um, I remember being very, very nervous about how my body looked, feeling awkward, feeling kind of, you know, too curvy f- for for what other men looked like. You know, I was comparing myself a lot to other people at that time. Um, but then I, I came to the conclusion, I was like, the purpose of me wearing this is not to look a certain way, but it's to swim. And this suit will allow me to swim and it will allow me to swim on the men's team. So here we go.
2: Did you feel accepted by your teammates on the swim team at Harvard, your male teammates?
1: I'm going to go with generally Yes. This answer has developed over the years I think that I the older kids on the team, so the seniors, were people that I felt accepting and welcoming to me, and they made an effort to to treat me just like anybody else on the team. I think that some of the other team members were struggling with their own masculinity and what it meant to be on a men's team. And you know, there's there's kind of a, a, a general experience I think on any team it doesn't have to be men's team; it can be women's or men's team that is like everybody kind of trying to prove themselves, especially if they're freshmen, right? And I, I think that 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 was absolutely prevalent on my team, and that made me feel like sometimes I didn't fit in and that I wasn't kind of like everybody else. And, uh, you know, in many ways, I wasn't like everybody else, right? I was I was transgender. I, w- I had taken a gap year. I, I am transgender still, right? Like, these things were different about me and that experience was different. I hadn't been socialized as male for most of my life. And so it was a lot to be thrown into a, a college men's team of, of, of 40 guys who had all grown up, you know, on men's swim teams, which I had not. So I, I think that there was a lot to learn and there's a lot of learning on both sides. What I think was key and was unique or... Special or a privilege of of mine to have with them was that everybody was, for the most part, everybody was willing to learn and stumble with me. And I will say that I think I had to bear more of the brunt of of explaining things, but that was also because I welcomed it. I, I consciously said, hey, if you have questions, Ask me. I'm. I'm. I'm much rather you ask me questions than you just wonder, but that created an, an, a, a space where I think it was safe for people to talk to me, and it kind of was anything else, right? So I think I found that vulnerability with with, with guys on my team. Not everybody, of course, but over the years, I, I absolutely found that. I actually live with one of my my teammates still, so um, I, I found a lot of that connection with them there.
2: What are the three questions you are most frequently asked. Do you speak around the country? You've been very public in sharing of your story. What are, what do you think people are the most innately curious about, the questions that that come up consistently, or the, or the best questions, the ones you like being asked?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, questions that come up frequently, one of the most common questions people ask is, um, so have you gotten the surgery? Or will you get the full transition? And what they're really asking me in either of the scenarios is what's in my pants. Um, I think oftentimes when you open up a conversation about being transgender, one of the first questions people ask or, or assume that they are allowed to ask is about my body and my genitalia. And it's almost demanded that I that I share about my my you know physical processes, my medical processes. And people don't get that when they ask those questions, they're being really invasive, right? Um they would never walk up to another stranger or somebody they just met and ask them what their genitals look like. That's not a common question. In fact, I would argue nobody asks that to random people they meet. But for some reason with trans people, it's it's automatically like allowed. Uh, and and I, I sort of understand where it comes from. I, I think that people think that it's allowed because I'm talking about my gender and they think, oh, we're talking about your body. But the reality is that gender is so much more complex than that. And my transition is so much more complex than that. And my being transgender and me sharing about that, me being vulnerable with a person about my my trans is not me opening up a, up a conversation about my genitalia. I personally am not bothered by most questions that people ask, but I think that's unique. I don't know if there's a question that I like. I would say... Um, I think it's, I appreciate when people ask and recognize through how they ask that my childhood was difficult uh, because of my transness, and then it can be difficult. And I appreciate when people bring that to the table and they, they show that they understand that um, and are curious to sort of learn more about that experience, I suppose.
2: Share with me why, With the answer to that question. I, I think I know the answer why, but um, how <laughs> was it difficult and why was it difficult?
1: Well, so, I mean, I was just a kid trying to live my life. You know, I, I was a kid who, um, who wanted to go to the bathroom in peace, for example, and not be thrown out. Uh, I was a kid who didn't know how to explain themselves and who got yelled at often by people for not looking like a girl or not being a real boy or um, being asked to pull down my pants to prove that I was truly, quote unquote, a girl at the time because I looked like a boy. Uh, I, I had teachers call me the wrong pronouns all the time and then get upset with me because I didn't look enough like whatever I was. they want me to look like. Or I had a teacher that offered to pay me every time he called me the wrong pronouns, which is incredibly inappropriate in seventh grade, right? Right. And I think, you know, most people are just trying to get through middle school. Most people are have struggles going going through school. But I think when, uh, you know, now in my adulthood, a person asking me questions and recognizing that that was hard tells me that they understand a little bit more than this is just about, quote, changing gender. Because people think that transition is like, oh, well, then so today you decided that you're transgender and you've decided to transition and and you've just, you know, decided that you're going to change who you are. And then that's so far from the truth right? Being transgender is, is is first of all, an identity. It's not something you decide or choose. It is not a choice. It is not a decision. It is something that just is. It's an identity, right? And when people indicate that they understand that my history was difficult, I think to me that shows that they understand this is not something I just came up with and not something that people just come up with. And there's an empathy there, right? So I think that when people say, hey, I get why that, that was hard or... Gosh, that must be—you know—it must have been so hard. How did you deal with that? To me, that says, "Hey, you're human too. I get that, and I empathize with you. Like, let's share—let's share common ground on that humanity together."
2: Your parents clearly are incredible, deeply loving, and supportive people. I read and I from your mom, and I relate to a mom because our kids, their safety, right, is is mm-hmm. is everything to us, and that, to some extent, she worried about your safety because she is cognizant of all of the hate and discomfort that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking through what you've shared on Instagram with hundreds of thousands of people, you did <laughs> a post about trolls and haters, mm-hmm. if you will. And you Mm -hmm. said you don't like to give them airtime and I'm gonna share that sentiment and then be a total hypocrite and share (laughs) in airtime. But I do think it's important to address the discomfort and the hate because it's real. Sure. You have a really stunning, handsome picture of yourself in the Speedo. It looks like you're somewhere beautiful in an ocean or a lake. And some of the posts that you put around, you look like shit, you're a girl, still a woman, you are a fag. You're not a real boy. You are still a woman, according to science. And God, if you don't repent, you will go to hell. I pray you come back to reality. Mm -hmm. How do you, as a person who speaks very open and vulnerably about your story, deal with, experience the discomfort in the world and and those words when you read them or, or when you hear or see them?
1: So I think the first thing that that I want to say is, this is going to sound weird, but I have the privilege of doing this for a while. <laughs> um, and these comments would have felt very different to me five years ago. Um, I remember I posted a photo of just me I don't even know what I was, actually, that's not true. I don't remember exactly what I was wearing. I was wearing a plaid shirt and and a pair of pants that I liked. I was very happy with this picture. I posted it um, on my Instagram. This was like, again, a long time ago, I I had like 10 followers. And some random troll came on and was like, you look like a girl, you'll never be a man, whatever. He like went off. And I felt so upset. And I had a friend reach out to me and they said, Skylar, you can't listen to people like that. You don't look like a woman, but even if you do, it's not about you. And I've taken that forwards and I, I I think about I think about my my development over the past five years and I had a, I had a run in, in the middle of a college when somebody in, in not on my team but in the in the swim league who said that they didn't believe I belonged in the men's team because I wasn't truly a man and I didn't they said a lot of negative things about me kind of similar to the things that you read just now off, off that photo and I was I was crushed the, 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 another swimmer believed that about me um, and I spent the day this sounds like a crazy person but I spent the day that the, that evening I, I stunk a big piece of paper on the wall and I wrote over and over and over again their words do not define me their words do not define me their words do not I literally wrote that over and over and over again until I was sobbing in, in my room by myself um, and that is what I do. I have done that so many times that whenever anybody says something to me that does not align with my view of myself, that is hateful, that is transphobic, that sometimes is racist, right? all these kinds of things, I sit and I remind myself their words are not the truth. They do not define me. They are not facts just because they say them to be true. They are reflective not of my character, but of the other person's character. And that is how now when I read those comments, I actually feel very close to nothing. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I and I mean that in surprise sincerity <laughs> I, I really do feel very little because I know that it's not about me and the most important thing that we need to do as marginalized people and actually as anybody who's walking through this world is make sure that our voices in our heads are kind to ourselves and when they're not, everything falls apart and I think that that's key and that's how I get through that
2: Wonderful answer, thank you for that I saw the image online on at the 60 Minutes piece that Leslie Stahl did with you that in your childhood, you were asked, and it was funny because it made me think my son did the exact same thing. I don't know if you did yours in fifth grade, but you were asked to do a, a present and a future self-portrait. And in the future self-portrait, you drew yourself as an old man with glasses and a gray mustache. Yes. Which leads me to your hope, for your future. You are young. You've just graduated from college. I know you're in a loving relationship with your girlfriend who we kicked out of the room next to you (laughs) because she's working from home and we had to do this interview. So Skylar, what are your hopes and dreams for your future?
1: So I always say I want to have a house or an apartment that I like living in, a cat and a partner and 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 a dishwasher and a laundry machine. Um, I have most of those things. So honestly, I don't know if I. This is going to sound empty, but let me explain it. I don't know if I have so much hope for the future. I think I, I have. I have hope for now, and I think that that's probably the most powerful thing that I ha- that I could say or that I could hold and believe about myself is that I don't need to be dreaming of some kind of future. I, I think I'm living in it. I think that as a kid, I never understood. I spent a lot of time creating this future that I wanted in my head um, and, and hoping that one day that I could be in that and hoping that um, I would have a future, period. And uh, I, I don't know if I need to think about that now because I feel like I'm right here.
2: I know you've said that you don't want your whole identity, the headline, to be Skylar, transgender swimmer. <laughs> that That is what you are known for as a human yeah. being. And it's it's interesting because you said you spent your childhood defining yourself as a competitive swimmer, and then Mm -hmm. the world then defines you as Skylar transgender swimmer. Mm -hmm. What are the pieces of yourself that you want to be known for, that you believe that are the truest to you?
1: You know, being transgender and being a swimmer are probably the two most important and most... um, prominent labels about myself so i think those are accurate and that's you know i'm not uncomfortable being called you know the 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 transgender swimmer or whatever because i think there's nothing inaccurate about that statement and i and i do think that those are the two experiences in my life that have that have most informed my my person and my character but I, 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 when I say that I'm so much more than that, I, I mean to say that I'm, I'm a human, right? I, I have bad days. I have good days. I have, uh, I, you know, I have a girlfriend and a life with my friends that has nothing to do with being trans or a swimmer. Um, I am a meticulous organizer. I have um, 15 Rubik's cubes. I like to write. I act like a child sometimes when I can't handle the stress of the world. I really like clouds I'm really big into scuba diving and just being in the water separate from being a swimmer. I have a collection of elephants. I spend a lot of time with tiny little details on my Instagram posts of making sure that the color is right here and there, right? So like, there's just so many things about me that are just, they're, they're not even that interesting, really. They're just things. And I, I think all of those things make me into human and, and what I strive to show through my Instagram and through my, my connections with people on stage, which is not happening now because of COVID, but so on Zoom or whatever, is that I'm a whole human. And uh, I laugh, I cry, I miss events here and there. I did that last week and was mortified by myself because I double-scheduled myself and messed up. But I'm, I'm all this I'm all these things. And I think what, what the, one of the issues with trans people specifically is the label is so sensationalized and so narrow that when people hear it, that's all that the person is. They're no longer a person. They're no longer a human. They're no longer somebody's kid, somebody's wife, somebody's husband, somebody's parent, somebody's friend, somebody's girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, right? They're just transgender. And... It's not that I'm not transgender, of course, but it's that I, I am I'm a real, I'm a real person, and I want people to see that. And so I, that's why I try to share myself as as openly and in my entirety as, that I can, because I want people to see um, that 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 trans people are also people.
2: What do you hope people take away from your story?
1: I think the main thing I want people to take away is. Reducing the otherness that they feel towards trans people. I think when people meet me, uh, and I've gotten this feedback a lot at speeches, at events over Zoom, where people will be like, gosh, before I met you, Skylar, you know, I thought that trans people were like this understandable, incomprehensible other. And I was really resistant to queer people. And I met you and I was like, wait a second. We're both just athletes too. You're just like me. You, you, I struggled with that too. Oh my gosh. I, I realized we're just, you're just another person. And I'm like, Excellent. Perfect. That's exactly what I was going for. So I think that's that's the number one thing I want people who are not trans to see. I want trans people and LGBTQ people to see me and and realize wait, I can do that too. And what I mean by that is I want I want every person to feel like they can be all of who they are and also do what they love. Our identities do not ever have to hold us back from our passions.
2: Thank you Skylar for this conversation and for your commitment to sharing your story with such a strong and important intention and for educating our audience and me. I have I have deep gratitude and, and really, really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for making the space for, for this conversation and my voice.
2: We're going to end with something a little fun called rapid fire. So I'm just going to okay. fire off some questions and just shout whatever comes to your mind. Great. Favorite childhood cereal?
1: Cinnamon Toast Crunch.
2: Favorite city?
1: New York. Seattle. Seattle.
2: Binge-worthy TV show?
1: Fresh Prince of (laughs) Bel-Air.
2: Biggest Vice?
1: Gosh, I have so many. (laughs) Um, Overanalyzing, as I just did just now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Favorite quote?
1: I've been thinking about this one a lot. Uh, there's a Nair Wahid quote that says, grieve so that you can be free to feel something else. And I think that's so important that we, that we, I think we, we don't welcome grief. Um, and I think grief is such an important part of life.
2: Thank you again, Skylar. And can you please tell our listeners where we can find you and follow you on social media so we know all of the great things that you're up to in the world?
1: The best place to find me is on Instagram. My Instagram is Pink Ray, pink like the color, manta ray like the animal. Most of my handles are also that. You can find me on Facebook and most of my posts from Instagram go to my Facebook as well. And then my website is the best place to look for resources, which is pinkmantaray.com. And I'd advise you to go there if you have more questions or are looking for terminology and and more about trans inclusion.
2: Great. And we will link to everything in the show notes. And thank you again, Skylar. It's, it's been awesome.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Have a great day.
2: Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Skylar. And to learn more about The Trevor Project, you can find them online at the TrevorProject.org. If you haven't already, I hope you will find and follow us on Instagram at allthewiserpodcast. You can let us know what you think about the show or this episode there or rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great day. You deserve it. All the Wiser is produced by Erica Girard at PodKit Productions. Our sound engineer is Kelly Kramerick and our associate producer is Kessie Hollister. Thanks for being a part of the All the Wiser podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast, read our show notes, or get in touch with us at allthewiserpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at allthewiserpodcast. Send us a note. We would love to hear from you. And as always, thanks for listening.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.